Can a change in mindset alone change everything for your business? And what should you be thinking about? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. You know, I like satire, as most of you who have watched and or listened to the program frequently know. And one of my favorite satirists that only those of us with a certain amount of knowledge highlights in our hair will be aware of is a fellow named Tom Lehrer. By profession, Tom was a mathematics professor at Harvard, but he once had the best quote about communication, which is what we're going to talk about today. He said, the least those of you who can't communicate can do is shut up. The problem is that we have an awful lot of folks who are out trying to communicate with clients and with prospects, and they don't know how to do that. Now, another word for communication, in my humble opinion, is marketing, because marketing is all about communicating. And so we are talking with Kate Colbert, who wrote this really great book called Think Like a Marketer. And the subtitle is what I really want to focus on. It's called How a Shift in Mindset Can Change Everything, Everything for Your Business. So with that, welcome, Kate. Thank you. So good to be here. It's my pleasure. I'm uh, my pleasure. So let's level set at a thousand foot level. What does it mean to think like a marketer? So thinking like a marketer is not about trying to be a marketer. So it's not trying to turn people who are functional experts like IT professionals or doctors or attorneys or business managers into somebody that they're not. It's about creating a new filter for how you ask questions when you're making decisions. So when you're thinking about what is the right way to approach this project that's in the best interest of our customers or other stakeholders? It's about thinking about your organizational culture and how it reflects on your brand. So it's my experience having led marketing departments inside of various institutions that there's often a disconnect between the marketing department and the president's office or the marketing department and the IT department, et cetera. And that can be really problematic. So If we can teach all of ourselves how to think like marketers, one, we can communicate better with one another, but two, we generate more sustainable, profitable growth for our organizations. And so thinking like a marketer is really a mindset shift. And my book really kind of approaches sort of five principles for how to do that. And we'll talk about those. But first, you say that you're an accidental marketer. How does one get to be an accidental marketer? I've always thought it's a very intentional kind of a thing. Yeah, so it was quite accidental for me. So I have four college degrees, none of which are in marketing. So I started out wanting to be a writer and or English professor, sort of forever and ever, amen. And I started out doing that. So I got my first graduate degree in comparative literature and started teaching English at the collegiate level. And I loved it. And I loved my students. But I spent a lot of time teaching others how to write and, you know, grading papers. 
And I realized something really quickly is that while I loved teaching other people how to write, I didn't love it as much as I loved writing. And so I decided I was going to go write. And I was, it was sort of a tough job market. And I took a position as a magazine editor in the high tech space. So writing about semiconductors, believe it or not, (laughs) a girl with a graduate degree in English. And I got to the point where somebody once asked me at a conference, at a semiconductor conference, where did you get your engineering degree? And that was, I think, the moment where I realized that if you're a sharp cookie, if you're open to learning, and you're a really good writer, you can learn about a lot of different areas, and you can tell meaningful stories to different audiences. I was doing marketing long before I realized it was marketing. And, and you know, I think once I, as a journalist, I sat on the other side of the marketing. So all the press releases and the pitches and the advertising were sort of coming across my desk and people saying, well, you do a cover story about it. And I understood what appealed to us and to our brand. And and, and ultimately, yeah, I sort of lost my job when the dot-com bubble burst. And um, so, and I was sort of young and naive and almost made the mistake of running off to take another position as a magazine editor when I realized I didn't think that's what I wanted to keep doing, that I wanted to put words to interesting stories and I wanted to connect innovations and services and products with customers and I wanted to change people's lives and I wanted to and I thought I could do that in different ways. And so I sort of just started repositioning myself as a communications expert and a marketer and believe it or not, with no background in marketing at that point, uh, landed a job as the head of marketing at a medical sciences university and then really just sort of learned as I went and went from there. I did ultimately go back and get a professional MBA degree and you know built two various successful businesses that have been around for about 20 years now. So yeah, I didn't have that marketing pedigree as one of my bosses once said, and I reminded him about when it comes to pedigree, is that something we talk about for dogs, (laughs) not for employees? Um, So yeah. That's true. Yeah. So I was very, very happy to have naturally sort of organically worked my way into the career that I'm in now, but I don't know that it was something that I knew that I was even looking for 25 years ago. Well, but see, as as a certified story brand guide, I'm all about the story. And yeah. I think your earlier education was all about the stories. So maybe exactly. maybe you did have a background that you didn't realize quite that you were going to apply that way. But I always tell clients that stories are order of magnitude more powerful than facts. Why are stories so important from your perspective? You know, well, they're human, which really, really helps. And it help, they're memorable. So statistics can actually be very, very memorable, but they have to be tied to a story. And so for me, actually, what where my sort of collaborators really sort of like sort of working with me is that I'm oddly sort of a strange mix of word nerd and data junkie. So a lot of writers and people who are storytellers are really not into the numbers. They're not math people. They're word people. I happen to be both. And so I like to take a look at data. So a great example of that would be one of my largest clients is a medical malpractice insurance company. And so they'll hand over claims data for malpractice claims for several years or 10 years or what have you and say, Kate, what are the stories? What are the safety issues that are happening in obstetrics? What are the safety issues that are happening during transitions and care? What are the safety issues that are happening in emergency departments in the United States? And we, I look at all those numbers and then I figure out what are the stories. And then we tell the stories using real patient data that, of course, we sort of HIPAA protect. And then we provide recommendations to people who work in hospitals and other sort of healthcare environments and help them make patients safer and help them save lives. So 
stories and those kind of examples can literally save lives, and they, they do. But they're also a lot more memorable than just saying, you know, hey, listen, you don't want to get sued, you know, so do these things, right? If that's all it took, everyone would behave differently in the healthcare space than they do. And so the stories, when we tell a story about a patient who had a cardiac history and, you know, who had a cardiac event coming out of knee surgery and nobody recognized it as cardiac and they treated it as pulmonary and he died, when we tell that person's story and then we tuck that into some statistics, suddenly it creates a narrative that really is sort of is different. I also think that the world is a lot more competitive than it used to be, no matter what industry you're in. And so whether you have a restaurant or you're a consulting firm or you own a hair salon or insurance company or a, you know, a benefits brokerage, you have to be different than the other guy. And you can't be just different. You have to be meaningfully different, meaning your stakeholders have to look at that option A and option B and figure out how is your firm different than the other one in a way that matters to them. And if you offer that kind of meaningful difference, you'll be able to capture and keep those customers and you'll also be able to price yourself appropriately. And so I'm surprised when I work with a lot of organizations that are really smart and have great products or great services, and they're absolutely brilliant. And I ask them, but what makes you different than that other guy? What makes you the different than that other option? other than your company's name and your turquoise logo or what have you. And a lot of times they can't articulate it. They really don't know what makes themselves meaningfully different. And they have to understand what that difference is. And then they have to have a story that will stick with their their customers in that way. So I always say that if you're the only person offering what you offer and there is demand for what you offer, you can get away with not having a story. But there's, I would say outside of the ice cream truck guy who's playing little Pied Piper music around the neighborhood, showing up at the end of the driveway where parents are like sending their exhausted, hungry kids out in the middle of the summer to get them out of their hair. That guy doesn't have to advertise. That guy doesn't have to have a really meaningful story because he's the only guy. But he's about one of the only guys in the business market space who doesn't have to have a meaningful story. Until there are two ice cream trucks that come around at different times of the day, and then you have to decide which one is better because the kids are only going to get ice yeah. cream one time a day. And that That's kind of exactly brings it. me to my next question, which is one of the things you point out in the book is knowing your differentiator is different than knowing how to tell it. <laughs> what do you mean by that? What's, what's the advice around that? So I think a lot of people don't take the time to actually sort of do the exercises or the homework of figuring out what they're brand story platform is. And I advise people to really sit down and do this to sort of make lists of when we talk about our organization, what are the words and phrases we use, right? So for example, earlier in my career, I probably was more likely to refer to myself as a consultant or a marketer or various things, right? When I was, when people were hiring me to do tactical work, when I was building a lot of websites and brochures and uh, developing marketing plans, there were different words I would use for myself. These days, I don't do a lot of tactical work. I do a lot of media. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of high-level consulting. I do a lot of market research and I do big, big writing projects. I'm far more likely to call myself an expert today than I am to call myself a consultant because it, it means something different. And so I think it's important to go through the exercise of take out a blank sheet of paper or sit down at your computer and start tapping out what are the phrases and words that we use that we ideally want to use when we talk about ourselves and our products, our people, our culture, et cetera. What are the words and phrases we don't want to use? If we were to explain ourselves in one paragraph, what does it look like? What about one line? 
what about six words if it was going to be a billboard headline and really go through those exercises. And again, you might think, well, but the marketing department does that. They write the billboard headline. Well, no, whether you're the CEO or the CFO or the CIO or the assistant, you know, manager of operations, if you represent your company in any way, you need to know how to talk about it. And it's my experience that a lot of organizations that do have really great differentiators and and sort of meaningful difference, they've not trained their staff or themselves, even at the C-suite level, how to talk about themselves and one of the things I often do is I'll go into an organization and I'll interview multiple people who work there and I'll say, tell me about your company. And they all tell me different stories. And then I put them all together and say, let's make sure we're all telling the same story and you can tell it differently. So David can have really cool, interesting backup stories and data and factoids that he throws into it when he talks about it versus Kate might talk about it this way. But it has to still be driving home so that when you ask the customers like, oh, well, So what's so great about Nordstrom's? And people say, oh, really high quality products, but really good customer service. Like they'll spend an hour with you in the dressing room, right? So what's so great about Walmart? Well, like a lot of selection, really affordable, in and out quickly, you can even self-check. So do people understand in those little bullet points, can your stakeholders tell your story? And typically the answer is no, not yet. And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, We can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, back to our discussion. One of the conundrums, I know you work with a bunch of medical clients and with some MDs and whatnot. One of the conundrums that we talk about occasionally on the program is this whole deal about, and we talk about differentiating yourself meaningfully, agent, broker, benefit advisor. Are those three different things in your mind? Do they conjure up three different notions as a business owner? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they really do. And I would say that as a business owner, even somebody who works in this space, it's confusing. I'm not even sure that I really understand it. And so, and one of my closest friends actually is a benefits consultant. I think she considers herself a broker, but I don't know that she'd, I don't think she would correct you if you called her an agent. So yes, I do think that, you know, I think a lot of people think of an agent as somebody who is specifically aligned with one service line, right? So, you know, I work for X insurance company, not one that rep- that can get you policy with multiple versus so I think of broker as somebody who has not a whole lot of bias and can sort of connect you with multiple opportunities for benefits or insurance. Whereas I think of, I think of as agent as somebody who is specifically tied or aligned to one insurance brand, you know, advisor, I sometimes think of as somebody more sort of at the high strategic level. And I do think it makes a difference how you position yourself. And so you should be asking yourself, where do I make my most money? 
where do I have the most passion and connection? So my friend Carrie, for example, um, uh, owns a, a company called um, Horizon Benefits. And she is really, she loves working with people 55 and older. And she is a genius when it comes to things like Medicare and Medicaid. And, you know, so those types of things. And she doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of money on each of these individual clients, but the relationships really matter to her. And so she talks about herself in a way that's very personal. You don't get a sense that about all the staff that are behind her or what that looks like. It's really about if you need advice, it comes back to your question about advisor. If you need advice, advice about what do I do? Like I need to buy insurance and how does the marketplace work or am I eligible for Medicare? Carrie is somebody you call for advice and she can also make those things happen. She can connect you with a policy and, and, and be somebody. So I do think it really comes down to asking yourself, how do I want people to see me? And so I, for a long time in my career, I had one client, it was one of my favorite clients actually, and he always introduced me to other people as this is Kate, she's my public relations person. And I had to explain to him that public relations and marketing are not the same thing. And I do PR, but I actually hate it. <laughs> so, you know, if your company is in the middle of a scandal or you get accused of some sort of crime or, or nefarious activity, I am a great person to put in front of the cameras to represent you and to help sort of, you know, clean that up or to say the right thing. I'm very good at it, but it's very stressful to me and I don't enjoy it. So I don't want people to think of me as a PR person. I want them to think of me as a marketer. So yes, I think you ask a great question and I think your listeners should be taking some time to say, you know, of these three monikers or is it sort of, you know, benefits consultant or benefit, like what is, what do they want to be known as? And then how can they explain that to the customer? And don't be afraid to be really clear. I think one of the things that people are afraid of is they think, oh, on my website, like it's supposed to be really catchy or sort of clever. Plain language is great. It is a great thing to think about a website that says, you know, you know, agent, advisor, you know, uh, you know, broker, what does it all mean? You know, at such and such, you know, benefits, here's what we do for you. Um, Tell us who you are. Tell us how you're different and tell us how to think about you and even use words like, you know, think of us as your right hand, whatever, or think of us as, right, so somebody like me who steps in and does high-level consulting for colleges, universities, hospitals, I often say, think of me as an on-demand chief marketing officer. And so that helps people understand how to approach you and how to think about the relationship. So yes, I would advise your listeners to be spending some time thinking about the words that they're using because the words that they use, if they're not intentional about them, will attract the wrong customers. And if you confuse, you lose. Yeah. You, you just can't do that in today's now. We've got a few minutes left. One of the things that I wanted to talk about that you talk about in the book is you call it the pitfalls of do-it-yourself marketing. <laughs> I know everybody, as a marketer, everybody thinks they're a marketer. Everybody thinks they're a writer. Not many people are. Yeah. So how do you explain the, the pitfalls of trying to do it yourself and, and why you shouldn't? Yeah, so we live in this very sort of convenience marketplace right now, right? So if I said, ooh, I would like to have mugs made with my company's logo. And by the way, there's a reason that I use a mug for an interview that has nobody's logo on it because I think it's distracting. So, but if you say I want to make mugs or t-shirts or what have you, and I could just all these websites where I just go and I like upload a PNG file and I can make stuff. Anybody who's done that stuff knows that the quality of, of the products that typically get shipped to your house, the baseball caps, the mugs, they're usually crap. Your logo gets pixelated. It's positioned funny. The colors aren't quite right. That's a place where I use, to use the word broker again, where I say, 
use a broker, use a promotional products broker, because guess what? A middleman there, as much as it seems like, oh, it'd be really easy just to upload this stuff and just have these stuff. When your mugs come and they're hideous or the color doesn't match your logo or what have you, you've got some call center to call and they're not particularly helpful. But when you work with a products broker, they are going to be giving you advice along the way, like, ooh, your logo as it currently works is not going to stitch well. Your embroidery on your jackets isn't going to work. Let's change the blue to silver. What about, let me show you samples of different threads. And by the way, they know how to make their, they make their money from the other end, right? They're like wedding planners. So they get their commission elsewhere. Everyone thinks, I think, that putting a middleman um, in some of these marketing tactics actually makes things more expensive. In my experience, it actually makes things more efficient, gets you better quality um, and usually cost less. So those are some of the places where I would say, don't do it yourself. DIY web design can be really dangerous if you're not really good. If you don't know how to write code, you're not a good designer, you're not a graphic designer. Again, there are plenty of people who can build you a beautiful WordPress website for a good price. But I think a lot of folks think that marketing is And I understand this. So marketing can be very expensive. So it's really easy to think of marketing in your organization as a cost center and not a profit driver. But the more you think of it as a cost center, like, oh, we got to save money on all this marketing stuff, or we got to get the cheapest advertising we can, or we've got, it won't ever become a profit driver if you keep treating it like a cost center. And so really smart, marketing-minded people and marketing departments. And I get, I realize that a lot of people don't have a marketing department because they're a small firm. So you're handling the marketing from various levels. If you're going to make money, if your marketing is going to have really great return on investment, you have to stop panicking about every dollar you spend. You have to start thinking about what's the right spend to get you the right return. And so, yeah, this do-it-yourself marketing, you know, and I can see it a mile away. You know, you see a really hideous logo or you see a really, and you think, so let me, let me say, let me give a really embarrassing confession that I think might be helpful to your listeners. At the very beginning of when I started running my businesses and sort of left my last day job as the head of marketing at an MBA program, I had this really crappy sort of one-page website that had a cool logo and what have you. And I got a call from um, somebody I really respected. And she said, Kate, I've recommended you to this big company. They're looking for an advisor on X, Y, and Z. And I I just, I sang your praises. He's headed out on vacation, but he's going to tell his boss about you when he gets back in a week. And she said, and then I went and I looked at your website and it's awful. It doesn't represent you at all. It doesn't, it makes me look like a liar. It doesn't look nearly as professional as you are. And she said, what can you do about it before he gets back from vacation? And that was a big aha for me that I was trying to save money because I was a small firm and what have you. And I tried to build this website myself and it was just awful. And so I literally shut it down, redirected silvertreecommunications.com to a Facebook page, which was the right thing to do at the time, and then got busy building the right website going forward. So ask yourself, when you look at your own website, T-shirts, product brochures, you know, sell sheets, white papers, et cetera. If you saw that coming out of your competitor, would you be impressed or would you be like, what a bunch of hacks? And ask yourself that honestly. And if it doesn't wow you, your customers deserve better. And so do you. And that's a great place to end our conversation. But if you like the advice, there's a whole lot more of it in Kate's book. Think like a marketer. Pick it up. It's available wherever books are sold. And of course, on that company named after a big, long river. Kate, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. 
The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.